Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Welcome to Have You Seen This? I'm Jennifer Albright. And I'm Tim Heidrich. And we're broadcasting live from Silver Lake in the most baller mansion the cha- I've ever been in. <laughs> yes, Chapo it's Trap Chapo House Trap House Mansion West. It's Chapo West, baby. Yep. It's right. a it's our most Michael Mann experience. We get to look out onto the reservoir and plan our next move as operators and professionals and the criminal lifestyle and just just wonder what it's all about yeah yeah what am i really fighting for what am i really chasing we've just just done some fucking fat rails yes we are we're zooted to the gills right now chasing the dragon yeah we are uh taking (laughs) a bolivian march And if you haven't guessed, uh, our guest this week is Matt Chrisman of Chapo Trap House. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, as always. Tim, do you want to give us uh, this week's topic? Yeah, this week's topic was inspired by uh, a few episodes ago, uh, we had Matt on for Mad Dog Time, which is probably the worst movie that we've seen. And from there, we got talking about other uh, sort of uh, ill-advised hip uh, 90s movies and from there we ended up uh, deciding to do an episode about Tarantino knockoffs yeah because this was the, the, that was like a formative experience for me was seeing those movies those early Tarantino movies Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and having them basically take over my mind be like I okay I, now I know what cool means I have a visual representation of everything that I think is cool and it all comes from this and so I just saw everything that looked like that. So I ended up watching every one of these things. Every one, I saw one that had those elements that, of coolness that I identified in the Tarantino movies. I went after it. A, a voracious consumer of cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would be like, I got to rent these as soon as possible. And I would watch them. And it got to the point where I felt like I was going to be a screenwriter. And I tried to write when I was a teenager a script uh, and it was going to be a, a fractured narrative of a bunch of criminals coming oh. together to do crimes and stuff. All the best tricks. Honestly, yeah. if you just had the connections, you could have fucking got that made. Because some of the shit that I watched for this episode... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it was, well, that's the thing. Is that all Hollywood knows is what, what is what is popular at the very moment. And so all you have to do is know what buttons to push. And I'm sure people said, Hitman... Ooh, Hitman, yes. Sassy criminals and swears. Pop music, ironically, counterposed with violence. And like, yes, we know the audience likes this. This is all greenlit. You guys, this band's called the Butthole Surfers. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? It's got butt right in the name. It says butt right there. Yeah, like, um, this is a very interesting thing about these movies. And um, maybe it'll provide a little intro for one of the films that we're going to talk about. Sure. Um, 
No, uh, no, we should start with the end of it, and then we'll cut in the beginning, oh, and then the audience will be like, yes. oh. You always got, you can never start a movie where it begins. That's a chump yeah. move. That's yeah. not cool. That's chump. I apologize in advance for the 45-minute drug trip that will be taking place in yeah. the middle of this episode. Oh, so you want to start talking about killing Zoe, then? Let's, let's kill Zoe. By the way, I must, I must say, it's, I'm glad I'm going to be out of California when this posts, because if Roger Avery heard us calling him a Tarantino ripper offer, he would probably murder us. Yeah, dude, I live in fucking Ventura County. I'm toast. Yeah. Oh, well. Like, I'm, I'm going to become a martyr for podcasting. It's the price you pay for, for speaking truth to power. What have I made of my life? I swear to God. Ugh. <laughs> I think this is going to be it. You're going to end up a footnote in a Wikipedia article. But yeah, anyway, so um, this week we'll be uh, we'll be talking about Roger Avery's uh, Killing Zoe. Yeah. We'll also be talking about an early episode of Love American Style, Love in the 45. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, um, it is, uh, oh shit, what's the guy's name? He has some stupid ass name. I do not remember. The star of? No, Love the guy who wrote it. Cunty, oh. Cunty McGee or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, it's some <laughs> garbage some gibberish. I don't remember. Let me let me actually fucking look it up. Well, because well, that's the thing is because <laughs> there were, uh, like Matt, you had no shortage of, of oh, yeah, movies my to list. list. Was long. The <laughs> the problem though is that there are ones that you know we remember seeing twenty years ago, but they're nigh impossible to find now. Yeah. Short of going to like what cinephile or your yeah. your local video VHS. Yeah, store. I wonder how. I mean, like for example, one that was very formative for me. Never actually got a theatrical release. A lot of these are that way, actually. But it was featured heavily on a premium cable. And I watched it on HBO a bunch called The Immortals. I haven't stars, seen that one. Uh, Eric Roberts, Tony Curtis in their sort of fossil era. Eric and, Roberts, a seal of quality. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and then starring Joey Pants, Joe Pagliano, yeah. I think Tia Carrera. And the, the premise is the crime boss... And recruits a bunch of people with terminal illnesses to do a bank robbery. <laughs> That's the premise. No. So it's all, you got irony already. They're the immortals, but right. they're actually all dying. But I mean, any any jail term that they would do from that heist would be a life sentence. Yeah, but the idea is they don't have a lot of time left, so they're kind of expendable. They're, you don't have to worry about them. Wouldn't those people just be absolutely decrepit? And you'd think, but yeah. they were pretty robust in the movie. They all had the, the they all had very rare diseases. It's like yes, I'm at, at death's door, but also I have all my musculature. I'm not crippled with pain. I have full range of motion and acuity and all these things that would be very unlikely if I was near death. It's one of those very rare diseases where you just drop dead. It's kind of like a D&D disease where it's like, Absolutely. yeah, I'm perfectly healthy until yeah. I hit zero So HP. I'm sure you guys haven't seen The Immortals, and I don't know where you would find it. Maybe a, Some of those old HBO-style movies are on, uh, are on uh, YouTube, maybe, but that's it. Yeah. Here's a theme that appears to pop up in these movies frequently, is doing heists with the absolute worst people possible to do a heist with. Of, yeah. <laughs> well, the, that's the thing is, and this is a trope that Tarantino used in Reservoir Dogs. Maybe one person's a cop, but also one person is some sort of obvious psychopath. You can't work with no fucking psycho. Yeah, and yeah. There, but there's always a guy who's on the team who you immediately think, oh, he's going to do something depraved and horrible and throw the whole thing out of whack, and that's exactly what would happen. Like, yeah, uh, or, you know, for example, um, your comrades uh, spend the entire night doing heroin. Yeah. 
before a heist that you haven't really planned. Yeah, I mean, not... Because you got there, like, the day before. Like, not <laughs> vetting people that you're working with, and, I mean, like, this... You know bad things are going to happen. But why would I mention that in an era of Uber and Airbnb and whatnot, where you're just interacting with strangers that you've only just met? Yeah, you know, that, that movie, the Killing Zone, it really is like a bunch of guys at a youth hostel decided to do a bank robbery. <laughs> Like they met in the common room and they had some absinthe and then they're like, let's go rob that bank. Let's go steal that ATM. Yeah. Also, I literally think that the uh, the ring litter had AIDS related dementia. Could be. Or just and I'm not being on PC. Like he says in the movie that he fucking has AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. That's not so HIV. Weird. He's not it's like, living with the hello, virus. Hello. I am the uh, criminal the Francais. I have the uh, AIDS. <laughs> It he, is uh, very bad AIDS. I must uh, get uh, all of this money. So I, for some reason, I don't know. I'm almost dead. I have the AIDS. He could have been one of the immortals. <laughs> yeah, they could have brought him in to the sequel. Yeah. I wish they'd made that. I oh, have man. the AIDS. Do you want to share this needle? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's, I, I think it's part of that. Your just, open mouth? I think it's just sort of that 90s wave of nihilism. Yeah, people do it. Nihilist. Crime movies where the premise is people just do them to do them because of their alienation. So even though you're dying of age, you just want to be as antisocial as possible. Yeah, that's I, that's um, literally one of the themes that Avery mentioned as part of Killing Zoe is is nihilism. And he's like, oh well, you know the the name Zoe means life, so it's like you're killing life. <laughs> Except spoilers, <laughs> she doesn't die. Can Zoe just, does not get killed. Can I just say this movie's a fucking pile? I hated it. I didn't it think, sucks. I didn't think Love in a 45 was that bad. Maybe because I was expecting it to just be trash. But I was like, right. ah, you know, this is really silly and very much of its time. But it's like, I'm like kind of entertained by it. I know. Uh, it, uh, Love in a 45. Well, the, the, thing that's quite, the thing that is both repellent and a kind of endearing about Love in a 45 is that it's so thoroughly rockabilly. Ooh, yeah. You know, it's oh, like shit, a rockabilly movie. On. Yeah, he I would hate he this movie. Well, he would yeah. fucking hate this You've movie. You've got Reverend Horton Heat in a cameo. Thing, like, you, and that's like, yeah, yeah, and they've got like the 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 very the obvious bad fifties retro green screens with the cars rocking. They're clearly evoking fifties tropes. So that movie is like, oh, it's rockabilly, but also, oh, it's kind of cute. It's rockabilly. Killing Zoe is just like. Everybody, just just these shitty Euro trash dickheads being like, eh, grinding Galois out into the fucking celluloid. It's eh, fuck ye. It's it, whereas like, hey, everybody, we're gonna do a, we're gonna do a little old uh, Tarantino style noir action uh, thriller. Yeehaw! Brian Setzer <laughs> Orchestra presents Love in a Forty Five. <laughs> Well, yeah, the thing about Killing Zoe, too, is that after you watch it, you're like, oh, I see why the French have a reputation for just being utterly insufferable. Yeah. Because they're like, I wouldn't want to spend a minute with any of those characters. Yeah, I know. And they're screaming at each other in the tight confines of the whole movie. The the other thing, too, like the the, the really bad thing, uh, the really bad takeaway from it is that yeah, this predates like Reservoir Dogs and, you know, Tarantino and like a, a, a lot of the... Um, a lot of those like endless pop culture diatribes because again it's like them on heroin all of a sudden really energetic for some reason which i didn't think heroin did that but like they're talking about obscure episodes of like the prisoner 
and like all the these other like they sort talked of, about the prisoner. Yeah, they talked about the, yeah because they're like oh and then like number six like goes to meet number two and he finds, finds out that he's number one and we're like prisoners of ourselves. But really, the best episode is A, B, and C because he like takes three different drugs and just like wow. I really love retreads of the kind of discussions of media I had in fucking college. Well, that that's the thing too <laughs> is like we're we're seeing like the birth of hipsterdom about like this like deep narrow understanding of just some obscure topic yeah like well let's let's kind of put these in their proper context um killing zoe was 1994 right. which was post reservoir dogs oh, reservoir dogs was um, dogs. 1992 okay yeah. um and this is an interesting thing about love in a 45 mm-hmm. um and which actually kind of makes me feel bad for the filmmaker whose name is um Canty Talkington? <laughs> what? <laughs> Canty? That's not a real name. It sure doesn't Robert Apparently Warm it flesh. is because he has a sister with the same last name. Oh, and unless yeah. they're pulling like a huge goof on everyone like yeah. this is this is like he was somebody who is in witness protection program and just decided on a whim to become a director and they gave him money and then they're saying we need your name for the poster and he says oh uh it's uh canty uh talking ton <laughs> remember i'm not a snitch so like can't talk but yeah. turn that into a name <laughs> i don't know <laughs> he saw a horse cantering by and then he yeah. was like that's it Awful. um yeah, so um, Mr. Funny Name, mm-hmm. um, I do legitimately feel bad for him because having read a uh, a couple of interviews with him, apparently he was writing his script for Love and a Forty Five in you know as early as like ninety or ninety one. Yeah, um, and then when it was making the rounds. Um, people were saying, wow, you know, this really reminds me of Quentin Tarantino. And he's like, who the fuck is Quentin Tarantino? Oh, that would suck. And um, they met at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh-huh. And um, Tarantino was like, dude, I loved your movie. Like, it was great. And, like, apparently Tarantino still evokes this movie huh. periodically. You know, saying, like, hey, you know, of all the... And he, you know, with affection, says, you know, of all the people who ripped me off, like, you know, this guy was pretty good. Yeah. You know, but well, he's like, motherfucker, I didn't rip you off. It's just a fucking coincidence. Yeah, yeah. because you and son of a bitch. that's <laughs> what I find interesting is that, um, you know, and I know that, you know, our episode is Tarantino ripoffs, but it's also the things that were in the zeitgeist that led people to write these kind of movies. Yeah. And yeah. like, do you guys have Tarantino also rans maybe yeah. is being more fair. <laughs> I mean, do you guys have any uh, thoughts on um, what was in the culture that kind of led us to this huge streak of like, you know, kind of like kinda, nihilistic kinda, witty high yeah, school yeah. movies? And I think it is, it is that we were talking the other night about how the nineties were this false dawn of, 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 neoliberal consensus where it really felt like the end of history. Mm -hmm. It felt like God was dead, the market was everything, humans had become totally commodified or would in the future. And that was not only unavoidable, it was also preferable. And this is just the future we have and going out forever in a steady state. Would you say that reality bites? Indeed. And the thing is, is that's what's the thing. That sort of totalizing hegemonic world is dispiriting and people feel like, well, what's the point of living in this? What am I doing? I'm just enacting a predetermined script. A human doing. I, 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 yeah, I have no agency. I am, I am, I am just matter, blink, just ping-ponging into a void yeah. that can never of- get, con- that can never have a value ascribed to it because we've destroyed all values and all judgments. Hence and, the rise of the anti-hero. Yeah, and so you're like, fuck that. And then your response is to, is to embrace 
of violent nihilism that seeks to obliterate the comfort and fake security of that false utopia. Hmm. It's like you're suicide bombing it. Yeah. And so that's then so the guy so like a world weary wisecracking killer would be the perfect emblematic hero for that kind of rebellion to a status quo. So but it's goes, funny because it brings like a, a an excessive amount of character rather than trying to like ner- define themselves into like what everyone else is expecting. Like, right. Yeah. Well, and let's not also forget like these were literally all written by these these disaffected young males who probably sought solace in media right because they were you know non like creative people you know they spent a lot of time like forming opinions and discussing like popular culture you know Mm -hmm. because none of us can fucking escape that you know but they were also kind of disaffected and they also like romanticized this like notion of the anti-hero yeah that and that's the thing is is that 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 uh trajectory intersects with a very real uh Sent, uh, a concept of masculinity mm-hmm. like they have to uh, the heroes of the time have to uh, embody uh, a what, what the fuck was I saying embodies a kind of masculinity I forgot oh, okay. Never mind. like the mass right. well like you know if we're talking about like anti-heroes um, well, I mean, again, if you want to talk about like the the reality bites thing, where there's uh, was it Ethan Hawke versus Ben, ben Stiller? Ben Stiller, yeah, yeah. Although, like, people will watch it now and be like, yeah, yeah, she could have should have gone with Ben Stiller. Like, you know, he had a good job and you know, a comfortable life. Oh, because he's the he's the boring one, and well, he, he's Ben Stiller, of Ethan course. Ethan Hawke is the bad boy. Yeah, he had a right. scruffy beard and everything. Yeah, because bitches like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, like. Um, but again, it's kind of like how you know, like you read the Fountainhead as a kid, and you're like, "Oh, this is so true." And you read it as an adult, you're like, "This is insufferable." Well, it's and um, it it is also like a very like adolescent male kind of perspective, right? Where and this is something which is like um, obviously as like a conservative teenage girl, like growing up in fucking Thousand Oaks, California. Well, you would be the expert, yeah. Yeah, well, th- this is a world which was like alien to me, but also like kind of enticing because it yeah. was so removed from my experience. And I'm sure, like, for a lot of these guys who probably like never knocked over a liquor store in their fucking life, right? You know, well, also most of them probably enticing. had never even seen guns. <clears throat> yeah, just... true. It it did have kind of. I, I mean, speaking for myself, it would have had a, a, an appeal to like a cloistered suburban white, you know, teenage kid who hasn't seen much of the world, which is why. Again, like, Jen was watching Killing Zoe and just, like, hating it. But the thing that you have to keep in mind is, like, watch it from the perspective of, like, a like a 15-year-old kid who's never seen anything like this. Well, yeah, because, um, and I think I mentioned it on the last episode that Matt was on. Yeah. Uh, my high school friend and I thought Reservoir Dogs was, like, the best movie ever made. And we were, like, two little girl nerds. Yeah. You know? in Thousand Oaks, we're like, oh my God, this movie's so awesome. It's got blood, it's got guns, it's got cussing, it's got <laughs> Tim Roth, it's amazing. <laughs> and and there's a diversion where a guy tells this long-winded story about this one thing that happened to him that's completely incidental to the plot, which also happens in Killing Zoe. Like, where they're bored during the heist, and the guy's telling that, like, long-winded joke about the guy obsessed oh, with women's belly buttons, and yeah. he goes to the whorehouse. Yeah. And, and again, it's one of those things that has nothing to it, but it's just, like, it's this bit of, like, I guess, like, you know, flavor text or character or something. Flavor of a navel. Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> but yeah, so it, they do that in Killing Zoe. They do that in Reservoir Dogs. And it's this sort of thing where I, I, don't, I don't know what the purpose of it is other than to be like, let's just let this character riff, I guess. Well, this is one thing that um, the, these watching these movies actually made me appreciate Tarantino more and okay. I you know um, I was certainly a fan in high school which is a good time to be a fan of Tarantino yeah. um, I became less of a fan as time went on but you know not not in a way like oh he sucks like you know just like ah, you know it's not necessarily my flavor I became less of a fan around the uh, the the double feature that he did with uh, oh uh, um, planet or, uh, no. grindhouse oh, 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 grindhouse. oh grindhouse yeah my god what was that <laughs> but that's what we're getting i really topic. enjoyed grindhouse oh, okay that's... i've never not enjoyed a tarantino movie well, this is, i enjoyed like... the trailers in the middle the rest of it i you, i could take or leave well this is the thing about about tarantino like even myself not being like a fan of him i mm-hmm. like appreciated what he was doing you know it's like you know like you can say that you don't like him but you know he's like you know a good screenwriter he has a singular vision like you know he's a good director but now like watching these movies and they're kind of like attempts at wit yeah you know because tarantino like people really like di- I, like i like dialogue like overwritten movies. dialogue yeah like you know when it's done well it's just like you know it's like reading dune you know it's like an inch thick but like you're still like ah fuck yeah this is cool like <laughs> says you. you know all of like tarantino's little incidental asides and like kind of character flourishes it's yeah. like you know those are really good and it takes real skill to write those which is proved in particular by killing Zoe, because as much as the characters spend all this time flapping their fucking lips, mm-hmm. like the only the only feel that you get is like, okay, this guy Eric, the French guy, is a sociopath. Like I could have told you that from the minute he walked on screen and threw fucking Julie Delpy out of the hotel room. Right. And Eric Stills's character, complete cipher. Well, he's, like he's a safe cracker. He's the plot device. He's there to move things along. He's, he's the there MacGuffin. to move the story along. Yeah, the, he's the <laughs> MacGuffin. And I mean, I'm used to like female characters being like just incredibly underwritten, but like all the characters are underwritten in this movie. Yeah, well, what do you want? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But so, you know, the point is, is that watching this go like, you know, wow, like I understand why Tarantino is the gold standard because when he does this stuff, he actually does it really well. Well, yeah, I think yeah. I just realized what Tarantino does <gasps> is he balances two different strains, overlapping strains of, I guess, I don't know, 90 specific cultural pathology and he he emulsifies them in a perfect balance and basically all of the other movies to some degree or another miss the balance and go either one direction or the other with these pathologies one of them is what we were talking about earlier that sort of proto nihilistic response to 90s false utopia of, it's like an intentionally retro seeming rebellion like a 50 like a it's self-consciously retro, like that's the rockabilly part. It's like a, it's a loush aesthetic, uh, almost continental rejection of of mores, and that, and and then, but with that, he balances it perfectly with the other thing, which is the pent-up male aggression, the fascist will to violence that was percolating under America's masculinity at that point, which you saw burst out in things like Woodstock '99 and all those like angry songs for like white boys who had no reason to be pissed but were super mad because their natural like aggression was being tamped and that all like the that ended up being this this huge backed up gland that got expressed on 9/11 and just shot violence all over the world because of that pent up 
thing in the 90s is about pent-up male aggression. Global cum yeah. shot. And so Tarantino's movies balance those two pathological strains of 90s culture in a perfect way. And the movies that don't work are either are one too much or one or the other. And then like then there are some that are only one. And so on the one hand, you have a movie that's almost basically just that part of Tarantino, the Lausch, rebellious stuff, the f- retro stuff. If it was just that, it would be Love in a 45. And if you took the f- fascist will to violence, the male domination power fantasy that also powers him, that would be Boondock Saints. That movie yeah. is just pure, the worst rancid masculine violence of it turned into its own movie. Just like 11 to 45 was the other one. And then uh, they're all somewhere on this scale. And then the ones in the middle where they meet and are perfectly aligned, like an eclipse, those are the actual Tarantino movies. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and, and it provides like a good balance without being kind of too much one thing or, or too much of the other. I, I hadn't seen boondock scenes until fairly recently and even that because i know it was you know hyped up there's like that that documentary about the, the overnight that's a great movie oh my yeah God. can yeah. i just point out that troy duffy is an asshole even by the standards of amazing from boston <laughs> there's a scene in that movie where after he's kind of gotten put through the ringer and they're burying Boondock Saints and he might never get to be able to direct another movie. He goes to, I think, the Boston College or something film department to do a little seminar with a bunch of aspiring filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And he just says to them outright, uh, give up. You will never succeed. You need to get out of this before well, you still can. You're going to waste your lives. To be fair, I wish I'd heard that at UCLA Film School. <laughs> yeah, you had to find out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's a great movie. That is, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend Overnight, like without question. Yeah. I would not recommend Boondocks. Boondocks Saints <laughs> no, is yeah. punishing. Like a lot of these movies can be fun, even yeah. if they're not good yeah. or at least breezy. It is so lugubrious and just these painfully overwritten attempts at humor that just feel so desperate and over the top. The affectations that feel like such obvious affectations, like Will Defoe's gay, you know, theatrical police officer and then the fact that when they finally start killing people there isn't even really any action it's just these slow motion shots of these guys getting riddled with bullets while opera blares on the soundtrack which is such a such an adolescent dipshit thing of like well what would make it sound badass and serious opera music yeah, it's, it's just like, like a kid it's just juvenile shit juvenile and you know, yeah, that, being shit, that shit was done like a couple of years after bonnie and clyde yeah, that's You know, true. like Bonnie and Clyde set the standard. It's like, okay, do yeah, something else. We've had our excess of violence. Like now balletic, what, what new can you like bring? Like slow-mo yeah. violence is trite. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, a, a movie that is not necessarily successful and tries too hard in some ways, Way of the Gun, when it oh. comes to the action scenes, uh. they fucking rip. <laughs> that movie, the big shootout that ends that movie, whips sack. No, yeah, it's that, great. that movie has a ton of a ton of good action. Yeah, in it. whereas Boondock Saints, it's like the scenes are almost avant-gardely uninteresting and unsuspenseful. I feel like a lot of these guys were helped by the influx of Hong Kong cinema. You know, yeah. uh, John Woo movies in particular, because you know John Woo being the you know the obvious king of um, yes, you know, yeah, um, beautiful gun violence, right. Um, oh, you just said that, and then a, f- a flock of doves exploded behind me <laughs> in slow motion. And it's funny because, like, I fu- like a lot of these, you know, these 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 '90s, like, kind of like 
violent heist or criminal movies. And it's like, whatever, you know, jerk off motion. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love John Woo movies. I love Hong Kong movies about like triad. Oh yeah. I, I, that I, is the I absorb shit. that shit. I fucking <laughs> watch uh, hard boiled fucking yeah. the killer better tomorrow. I watch all that shit. I remember when I first saw hard boiled, uh, and they go into the hospital at the end. Yeah. And they're just like, that one guy just machine guns a room full of old people and people in wheelchairs <laughs> and pregnant women. And he just, holy shit. Doesn't it like, doesn't like a, a baby pee out a little fire in that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> that was, uh, I saw that first as a double feature. Uh, it was Hard Boiled and uh, The Killer. Yeah, they never really got he, they, they never really got him in Hollywood. They, they never really made it work. No, they even tried to import Chow uh, Yun Fat. Fa- yeah, and they failed him. Face Off yeah. is the closest he got, and I still think it's mostly a failure, even though it's very entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> people love that movie, but I have to confess, I was just thought it was dumb. Well, it is incredibly stupid. It's yeah. like yeah. it's, it's mind-numbingly yeah. stupid. Yeah, it's just a hair's breadth away from The Rock. I feel. But it was um it was an 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 early indicator of the kind of gifts that Nicolas Cage would give us as an actor. <laughs> yes, when he's like touching the ass wearing his yeah. priest's costume. <gasps> <laughs> but anyway, kind of circling back to our um you know, kind of, we can call it like our trio of uh of choices. Yeah, yeah. Um Boondock well, saying it's killing Zoe in eleven to forty five. Right. Um I, I did also want to say like Way of the Gun, that starts with like Sarah Silverman yes. is like a diatribe. That's Sa- a- Sarah Silverman oh, screams. Sarah Silverman. The gun? Sarah Silverman yeah. screams, "Do you fuck baby heads?" At Benicio del Toro. Yeah. And Ryan Fleet for five minutes, and then Ryan Fleet punches her in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's just violence against women. That's the whole punchline. Like, you know bit. what's gonna. What it's kind just of movie her you're being. Into. It's her being incredibly irritating. Yeah. And then him punching her, and that's the <laughs> joke. <laughs> That he punched the annoying lady who wouldn't stop yapping. That appears to be... This is what you're getting. It was a little more of a theme in Killing Zoe was just kind of, um, you know, misogyny just being like part of the wallpaper. Oh, yeah. Well, you kind of watch it and, well, like I said to you, it's like, oh, it's the the id and the ego fighting and then... Because the id is Eric and the ego is our cypher protagonist and the super ego is Zoe. Yeah, Zed. So... yeah. And it's all very obvious. Yeah, um, you had you had less of that in Love and a Forty Five. In fact, I would argue that Love and a Forty Five is a little more feminist because Renee Zellweger's character is very active. Starlene, yeah. which is a great name. Right. Um, Good stripper. She's name. a very active character. Um, mm-hmm. She deals with you know gross come-ons from uh, her boyfriend's yeah. uh, partner, and you know she handles it. Yeah. Also, watching Love in a 45, I'm like, this is the most Balzerko episode of Trailer Park Boys I've ever seen. <laughs> so that's just what it felt like. That would, that would, uh, that would be cool. I would, Yeah, because it starts with like this like minor sort of inept heist that just spirals out of control. Yeah. But, anyway. And, um, Matt, I think you mentioned like disliking Love in a 45, but, um, like once I got past like the first ten minutes, which was him was again. It's this overwritten character. Yeah, like Gil Bellows, like Gil fucking Bellows, huh? <laughs> like handing out like life lessons to From this the hapless teenage. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. When he's so he's giving life lessons to this kid working at like you know the 
the quick mart or whatever. Yeah. But before he goes in there, they you see him consulting the I Ching in his car. Yeah. Ugh. It was really hard Fuck not to turn off. off the movie at that point. I was just like, <laughs> Fuck <"Rrr."> off. <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, so he's basically, he, he gives this kid a gun. Yeah, because all, all it you gives need. him like career advice. You know, yeah. maybe this is a little bit of like, um, well, like, like wish fulfillment. Yeah, <laughs> for some people in the audience, and I was like, "Oh my god, this movie's trying." Or you know what Matt's saying, like you know, don't be part of the machine, go be an individual. Yeah, yeah. like fuck off, fuck off with your your gray f- one dimensional man. I'm gonna be a rebel. Yeah, just because. And the thing is, the '90s, it was like the '50s all over again. It was cultural stultification and sort mm-hmm. of a, a a sense of unearned contentment, and and sort of it being very tenuous. It's the same kind of like that sense of like, everything being fat and happy, but then weird danger on the horizon. Yeah. And so yeah, they wanted to rep. They replicated all the style, so it's all like Gil Bellows is basically like James Dean. You know, it's it's all very fifties, intentionally. That really was the feel of the nineties because, um, you know, during the Clinton era, like you really had this growing awareness of, um, you know, the specter of political correctness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw other movies kind of pushing against that, like um, Demolition Man. Oh, oh yeah, man. where the PC police take over the whole world. Exactly, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, oh, people don't even fuck anymore. Yeah, you know, they have like VR sex, you know, because VR was a big thing. So, you know, um, so I, I feel like a lot of the movies were pushing against that very strongly. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of have like a, another, obviously we have another wave of that now where pe- people are like super mad about free speech on campus. Well, yeah, I think part of it too is that the art is just going to reflect the, the time that, yeah, exactly. you know, that it's made in. Yeah, so you definitely had this kind of like cri de corps against like the, the civilizing forces. Right. You know, of, uh, of PC, the man, you know. Yeah. The man probably being Bill Clinton or something. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> You saxophone playing asshole. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> With your frigid bitch wife. Fuck you. <laughs> I wonder whatever happened to her. Oh, well. <laughs> Nothing good. What yeah. happened? Yeah. Oh! Well, I have this volume right here that'll explain it. Have you read it? You have to read it. You have uh, to read this. You owe her this. Uh, ungrateful Bernie bros. Uh, Putin, I see here. <laughs> Uh, James Comey. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, so you were circling back to something about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, well, you know, just kind of, um, you know, putting our, our chosen movies in their context. So, you know, and saying, like, you know, I, I, I got some enjoyment out of 11 to 45. Mm-hmm. Um, 11 to 45 looked like it was made for about 100 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, my favorite scene is, like, the quote-unquote Mexico border. <laughs> Which is like, we closed off a random highway. We stuck a sign by the side of the road that looks kind of like one of those border crossing signs. We wrote Mexico on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know. we got a Hispanic guy to play the border guy. Yeah, we hired a day player. And then told Renee to, to, to ham it up. Am I, um, am I being unsisterly if I say that I just can't? Like, I know Renee Zellweger like, uses her sexuality as a tool. At several points in well, the movie. Well, all women do. Apparently. Yeah. But um, I just can't see any guy going that crazy over Renee Zellweger, even though yeah. she's in short shorts. Yeah, what was the deal with that? Also, that 
fucking dumbass driving the Brinks truck or whatever. Yeah, like armored car driver. It's like, have you not seen a woman before? Yeah, I did not get the Renee Zellweger thing at all. She always just looked kind of weird. I mean, she's she's certainly fine in the movie. You know, she does have uh, she is charming, but you know, I don't really think of her as like. Uh, yeah. You know, like, damn, what a dish. Well, part of it, too, is, I mean, you know, Hollywood's always trying out, like, you know, well, this will be the next hit, girl. Let's try that. Like, like I read an article, I don't know, years ago about just how there's a dearth of, of leading men just because, like, none of them have that quality. Yeah. And, that's you know, why that, we keep importing them from Australia. Well, you know, basically. Like, that's how you have, like, you know, like, I don't know, Ryan Phillippe or whoever, or, like, Taylor Lautner or whatever, and it's just like, yeah, this is the new it guy. Yeah. And just like, yeah, no, he isn't. Uh, when do you think um, Harvey Weinstein hit on Renee Zellweger? Uh, from the did. start of principal <laughs> photography until uh, the ADR <laughs> sessions. He used to fax women pictures of his dick. <laughs> <laughs> Only 90s kids will remember this. Yeah. <laughs> remember faxes, kids? <laughs> But yeah, um, like I don't know, like she's fine. Like Gil Bellows is fine. Yeah, he's a, he's a TV actor. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> he's got that low watt charisma. Yes, that's exactly it. You know, made made for the small screen. Yeah, <laughs> like Thomas Jane. Yeah, like they're decent actors. They just can't pull the focus the way that a movie star needs to be able to do. Yeah. So and you know, like it kind of fits being like you know a small, cheap movie yeah yeah you know about two small time hoods who become like uh kind of like tabloid celebrities in the vein of again only 90s kids will remember this the long island lolita yeah or natural born killers yeah which um oh and that was another thing that the the director mentioned like he he took heat for ripping off oliver stone he's like no fucking oliver stone ripped me off because a guy working in oliver stone's office read my script and did coverage of it and then he co-wrote Natural Born Killers with Oliver Stone. Oh, I feel really bad for Won't Talk McStoolpigeon. What's his name? <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought that Can't script started off as a Tarantino script. No. Um, well, let me look it up. Yeah, because Tarantino got mad because he didn't like Natural Born Killers. He didn't think it was an accurate representation of his original screenplay. But the yeah. original screenplay for Natural Born Killers was written by Quentin Tarantino. That's what I recall. Yeah, and I remember that there's this famous incident where he was fighting with Oliver Stone over the direction of the movie, and he brought him the platoon board game, and they played it okay. to try to break the ice. <laughs> but at the end of the day, basically what it boiled down to is Oliver Stone's thing was, hey, I've been to Vietnam. I understand violence. I understand this stuff. This guy's a kid. He's just playing video games he's he doesn't really have the life experience to know what the subject matter means working in a video store yeah he's just some punk yeah Yeah. i'm from looking at this interview i'm guessing um what happened is that this guy who worked for stone um read talkington's script and maybe you know internalized it and probably what happened was that you know oliver stone got the original the tarantino script for Natural Born Killers is like, no, 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 no. Like, I got to rewrite this. Right. Like, this kid, this, I've punk, been a numb, this punk man. kid wrote this script. Like, I'm going to fix it. And he probably got this guy from his office, you know, who's credited as a co-writer. And that is where the, the love and 45 lovers on the run. Yeah. Came and the out. thing is, they both have the same, they have that retro aesthetic to all mm-hmm. of their romantic scenes. Yeah. 
Which, um, you know, I remember Natural Born Killers taking that to an extreme with kind of like the sitcom flashbacks yeah. to Mallory's childhood. Yeah, because, again, you see uh, sort of, well, not an echo of that. I guess it prefigures that in Love in a 45 with the crime channel, which is like yes. always on <laughs> and everyone's always watching it. Which is like, it's like a sick, sad world from Daria. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> or like whatever the fuck Beavis and Butthead were watching. Right. <coughs> But yeah, I mean, because you, um, well, because you remember in like the 80s and 90s, they had all those tabloid shows like hard copy and shit. Oh, yeah. American Maniacs with Ryan Gale. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, what what show was it that Bill O'Reilly got a start on? It was hard copy. Hard or copy. No, in, inside edition. Inside Fuck edition. It, we'll do it live. Yeah, yep. yeah. Fucking thing sucks. Yeah. That yeah, show. Wayne Gale. That was. Live uh, interview with Wayne Gale. <laughs> Whatever happened to that actor, I wonder. <laughs> I heard he went through some hard times and came out the other end uh, stronger than ever. Yeah. uh, People have a good come from behind win. But yeah, again, like I kind of want to emphasize that um, CM Talkington apparently like um, pulled a lot of things from the zeitgeist, put it into his script, and he just had the misfortune to come along at the same time as this hot whiz kid, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. You must hate that fucking guy. Well, Probably appara- second only to Roger Avery of people who hate Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> well, no, he talks. He's very complimentary about Tarantino because, again, like Tarantino has been very complimentary toward Love and a Forty Five, and I don't know, maybe a maybe like a portion of it is that thing that you do when you're on the periphery of an industry and you kind of don't want to speak ill of your quote unquote betters because you know yeah, that's the thing. He might get thrown some work or something. Yeah, he doesn't want to be the the squeaky wheel. Yeah. And, you know, but and to tell you the truth, uh, Quentin could probably do him like a bigger favor. And just be like, hey, Seriously, they'd be like, I'll put you can put a blurb on the jacket copy of, of the book of the VHS yeah. for me, no, with my because, name on it. You know what else? Um, and this is something we talked about in the Mad Dog Time episode. Like Quentin Tarantino will fucking produce Anything. a Larry Bishop movie. Yeah, he produced he that garbage. In a bone. He produced that. He gave he gave Larry Bishop a, a nightmare nightmare film directing career yeah and he couldn't give this guy one more shot it's pretty sad like does does larry bishop just get like quentin like the most like primo feet pics or something well i think part of it is that he's this is this boils back goes back to his fetish on retro america and sort of that mode of rebellion Mm. larry bishop is joey bishop's father the guy from the rat pack he's hollywood royalty and I think Tarantino's Hollywood obsession, fixation, makes him be like, this guy, I, he's like a Merovingian prince. I need to fucking <laughs> honor him by giving him the chance to make these terrible movies. That's yeah, true because... Yeah, it's like, what does it help Tarantino to help... Uh, Larry CM Bishop. Talkington. Yeah, CM yeah CM not the, like, Talkington gets nothing. What's Talkington going to do for me? He can't do shit. Yeah, Bishop. I can't. His yeah. blood isn't an elixir against death the way <laughs> the blood of all real Hollywood royalty is. Because it's true, like, um, Larry Bishop really is like a little literal relic. Oh, like, God. Not, total. You know, not just like of yeah. old Hollywood, but also of like the kind of trash cinema that Tarantino holds in great esteem. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, having been, you know, gotten to start in like all those trashy biker flicks. Yeah. You know, I mean, Larry Bishop really is the equivalent of something you see nailed to the wall of a Bubba Gump shrimp company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just in terms of just like utter trash culture. Yeah. You know, someone is elevated for some fucking reason. Oh, yeah. Trash culture. Because that was also, well, that's kind of an 80s thing, too. That's nah, soft topic. Well, um, 
you do get that elevation of the low to the high yeah. in yeah. these movies where it's like, and you know, that is also a Tarantino thing. It's like this incredibly crass low art is just as worthy yes. as the mm. frescoes yep. of, you know. And that, 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 is, that is something that you can see across all uh, cinematic movements in the 90s and beyond is, is to try to ratify juvenilia and say you don't need to have any kind of this highfalutin stuff. You can watch the shit that kids like and that is mass market garbage, but because you have an ironic knowingness of it, you, that's just as good as the high art stuff. Yeah. And it's just a way to la- launder people's laziness and intellectual immaturity. And this led directly to Bronies and Gamergate. That's yes, bad. it did. <laughs> well, hey, and furthermore. And it all, it all did that. Indeed, it did lead to that. Well, my friend. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, I mean, most people don't have a high enough IQ to really appreciate Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's also it got a suicide squad. Is Ugh. that mindset led us Hell to that? Yeah. That yeah. mindset of the Joker being like a, a signal character in the Western canon. The yeah. Joker <laughs> is now one of those one of those it's beings like, that ratifies Western civilization. He's yeah, that like, much of a touchstone. He's like yeah. a, she's like Falstaff or something. No, yes. he's a stupid cartoon clown. <laughs> Playing him does not require some sort of otherworldly transubstantiation to, yeah, to not King be Lear able to anything. rectify to be able to replicate that kind of otherworldly twistedness and evil that the, he's just an evil clown <laughs> I don't necessarily subscribe to that Steven Pinker shit of like you know hey you know the world's getting better and like violence is uh, falling away and we're becoming more civilized however for a significant proportion of people in the United States um, you know we, those people are relatively untouched by violence and yeah. you know the you know yes the chaos and of, so they of can, poverty they and whatnot can, so which is why they elevate these characters like yes. the joker which is like oh man that's so fucking twisted you know it's like because they're they have a fixation on violence that they've never experienced so it's just aesthetic and has no grounding in the real yes. the real power of violence it's just yeah. a sick it's just a sick uh is it that same kind of 90s anti-hero thing? Because, I mean, Joker himself also kind of lives outside of the, you know, yeah. cultural bounds. Yeah, because cinematic violence is so utterly removed from real-life violence. Yeah, um, except for when it isn't, then you're like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, I mean, because there certainly are movies that... Um, I mean, a lot of time it's stylized and, you know, it's sexed up. Yeah, because, um, you know, and again, like, you know, it kind of goes back to, to Bonnie and Clyde as, like, one example. You right. know, extremely stylized beautified yeah violence you know like which is really not like real life at all right. you know or like um you know um and this is a trope which has been true of hollywood since its inception you know fist fights that go on for like minutes on end mm-hmm. you know and if you've seen a real fist fight it's just like it's just you know grappling and you know yeah it's a punch they break their hand it's it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely uh, clumsy and and spastic and no, and people just kind of f- trip over each other. Nobody gets laid out with a single punch. Yeah, yeah. Like there's Julie no, Delpy there's no, there isn't Zoe. that, there's not, there isn't that Indiana Jones thwacking noise when you punch somebody like, <laughs> it's, it's so just a sad yeah. slap of meat on fist. And yeah, it's like yeah. they're they're fight and scenes that are hand more than you hurt them when you punch yeah. them. Yeah, like like Indy's hand would have just been a bag of blood oh, and bone shards. Yes. Yeah. 
after like a few Nazis. Would have been able to sign his name, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's written for like s- s- expediency more than uh, verisimilitude. Yeah. But again, like, um, oh, that's, that's the other, um, I think that's the biggest indicator of a uh, Tarantino ripoff. The gold standard of Tarantino ripoffs is uh, do people point multiple guns at each other? The the, Mex- <laughs> the Mexican standoff Mexican is standoff. a integral component of the Tarantino ripoff. Yes, because it with happened... guns held sideways. <laughs> Was it, didn't they evoke that in The Simpsons? One of the cops is like he's like holding his gun sideways. Oh, you know, it looks cool. Oh yeah, he goes, uh, yeah. yeah. Can I do that, Chief? It looks so cool. And he goes, Well, it is your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, but yes, standoff. I'm trying to think of which ones have Mexican standoffs in them. Was it Way of the Gun? Uh, Immortal, Immortals definitely does. Yeah. In fact, the whole ending is them all in a kitchen giving each other, the whole pointing guns at each other. <laughs> mm. uh, you, which one do you say? Way, Way of the, the Gun? gun? They're all... Uh, there's, there's a, a funny, lot of pointing uh, guns at each other. There's but a fucking hilarious one in um, High Voltage, which they talked about on uh, Red Letter Media. Yeah. Best of the worst, mm-hmm. where it's literally like about six people pointing guns <laughs> at each other, and then like Amy Smart comes in with a shotgun and points it at someone, and it's like, come on! Wow. Yeah, <laughs> more, more guns. It's like a, it's like an Abram Zucker film at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some idiot put a gun in the microwave. <laughs> I think Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I think Truth or Consequences, New Mexico has a Mexican standoff. One of Wasn't the worst that a ones. Was it Vanity Project? Yes, Kiefer Sutherland directed it. Ooh. Because uh, if it's in Mexico, it's just a regular standoff. I right? bet he directed as well as uh, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, not he. <laughs> wait a minute. He did not have the visionary, <laughs> cr- fucking, the visionary storytelling power. Nothing but trouble is a fascinating film. <laughs> It is so deeply and richly imagined. In, in the way that like, the Sutherland Mooner doesn't Museum have is a fascinating. Fucking, his, his shallow, ponderous, un, unoriginal Quentin Tarantino ripoff, Truth or Consequences in New Mexico, doesn't come close to the art of just the design for Judge Valkenheiser's face in Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, I think, I think it was like my pre- Chapel listening days because we did an episode about nothing but trouble. It was me and a uh, friend of the show, Mike yeah. Rosen. Oh, I could talk about that all day. That's an amazing film. <laughs> that episode did go on forever. Well, we had so much to say. <laughs> yeah, because it's it wasn't. True. Um, it was hilarious. Well, it's one of those movies where it's like it isn't like utter trash, but you're confounded by it because it's you're like, I know you're saying something. But why I, is Digital I Underground here all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it is, but you're trying to say something. Why is his nose a penis? That is a very memorable moment. Uh, and yeah. it's a motif that recurs in the movie. The nose keeps getting more why? penile, in case you didn't get it originally. <laughs> it's, it's just Dan Aykroyd given free reign. But yeah, anyway, um, uh, no, I, I agree. Dan Aykroyd is definitely a greater visionary than uh, Kiefer. Has Kiefer directed another movie? He, I thought that I I used to joke that it was he's sort of like Charles Lawton because he famously only directed Night of the Hunter, but apparently Kiefer Sutherland did direct one other movie even less significant than Truth or Consequences ah. in Mexico. Mm. That's too bad because I wanted to be like Night of the Hunter. Yep, Truth or Consequences. Nothing but trouble. Yep, Truth or Consequences in New Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> that movie has Great. the most has the single most. Uh, 
derivative, directly derivative Tarantino scenes. And that is Max Perlick gets tortured and interrogated by bad guy hitman Martin Sheen. And at one point he is beating him up while tied to a chair and they're mm-hmm. playing an ironically counterposed pop song. Oh. And it's and you just think, Oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> this is so obviously trying to ape that movie that it, I, you can't even look at the screen. It's yeah, like I feel embarrassed um, for you. Wow, like if you look up Truth or Consequences in New Mexico, like the movie doesn't even come up like in the top searches. <laughs> you have to add movie to it. Um and yeah, no, that was the thing that New came Mexico. up in um eleven to forty five because you know, like um you have the uh the ear slicing dance in mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs. There is a moment in Love and a 45 when like the drugged up hitmen are like uh, oh, yeah, torturing his buddy. Yeah. And then he does like a dance in front of him. And I was like, ugh. Yeah, I guess that was that was just like the, it's like there's a bingo card of these things. Yeah. <laughs> like if you wanted to go back and watch 90s movies. Okay, now I have to say that, um, you know, I will hand it to Sam Talkington for not, necessarily being just a, a cheap Tarantino ripoff artist. Like, we made that point earlier. Now, Truth or Consequence in New Mexico, there's no fucking excuse because it came out in 1997. Mm-hmm. That's after Reservoir Dogs, after Pulp Fiction. After Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, you know, after all those Tarantino tropes have been, in, like, internalized, and right. it's like, well, you know, let's just make a knockoff of that, you know, because the, the kids love the shooting with the guns and the nihilistic violence. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that thing that other people have expressed. Yeah. And meanwhile, it's like, well, how can you call yourself a fucking artist? Yeah. Like, I'm just doing what other people do. Why are you here? Well, and, and like, the problem is, is, um, and I don't know. I mean, you could probably make a point about, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. It's too fucking obvious. Um, but when you watch movies and you derive nothing from it but the stylistic elements. Yeah. When you're watching a movie and going like, that's so fucking cool. I want to make a movie that's fucking cool. You know, and I feel like that was what happened with Killing Zoe. A little less with Love and 45 because there actually is, um, there's, there's a little bit of character it, yeah. stuff going on in that movie. There's a unique voice. Yeah, you know, say. like, um, you know, Gil Bellows' character, you know, Starling and her family, mm-hmm. you know, have like little, you know, they are, they're, they're self-consciously wacky, but, you know, they're characters. Yeah, and there's also like a little mm-hmm. bit of stunt casting because there's what... Peter he, Fonda. Yeah. And he quotes a line from Easy Rider. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um... But, you know, with Killing Zoe, you just it just feels like, yeah, I want to make a fucking cool-ass heist movie. Well, the thing Where that, they talk about the prisoner before they do a job. They do a bu- bunch of fucking heroin. It's so crazy. Like, wait till you see this fucking heroin scene. Yeah, heroin just drug du jour uh, of, of the 90s. And again, like, I, I forget if I already told the story, but I was taking Richard Walter's intro to screenwriting at UCLA. And he gave <laughs> us this writing prompt about, like, you're a... Uh, I, I don't know, like you're a an aspiring writer and your like suitcase gets switched with some other like big deal writer. And it's like, what's in the suitcase? And like, after, and that's your assignment. And like, I'm overhearing some student talking to another and he's like, oh, it's obviously, it's got to be either cash or heroin. <laughs> I'm just like, well, it was no, 1997. The twist is it's Stephen King's suitcase and it's full of cocaine. Ah, <laughs> see, that, that's the old twist. You don't see that coming. It's a, what a twist. By the way, the song, I looked it up. The song that they play while Martin Sheen cuts Max Perlick's fingers off 
in Truth or Consequences in New Mexico is It's My Party by Leslie Gore. See, you wouldn't, and I'll cry <laughs> if I want to. See, it's irony. Oh, yeah. See. Was, yeah. Uh-huh. I want to see a movie where somebody uh, mutilates someone to the tune of it's that it's peanut butter jelly time. Song. <laughs> <laughs> that would rule. <laughs> that would rule. Anyway, a, a finger cutting scene was done better in Darkman anyway. Oh, yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the singer breaking scene um, breaking, where he breaks yeah. his hands back? There's finger. Bre- it's in the beginning. Oh, okay. when he's got a cigar cutter. Oh, right. Larry Drake. Yes. Yeah. There's finger breaking in uh, 1145, too. Yeah. Where he breaks. Um, he breaks a couple of Peter Fonda's fingers. Oh, yeah. 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 That's the key to all of it. Whoa. The finger breaking. Uh, the, the thing. The point that I wanted to make about. Um, Killing Zoe, and because it isn't just Killing Zoe, where they're talking endlessly about the prisoner. There's, um, you know, plenty of other Tarantino, just like pop culture diatribes, and I feel like this is kind of the genesis of of hipsterdom, of just people pontificating, just at length about like this one very specific, like narrow piece of knowledge, and and it's like to the point where like everyone's kind of got this one-upmanship about like. Uh, uh, just like their own particular like you know pet theory or interest and and like that fills in for I don't know for like character or personality but but it's it's become so uh, pervasive that that every, everyone's got like like I don't know you could you could even have like a podcast or something about like these obscure awful movies it that gave no one else people knows it gave people a shortcut <laughs> for appearing smart and informed. It said, hey, you know how it's socially valued to seem to be very knowledgeable? But that's difficult because attaining knowledge is tedious. Well, if you just take the pop culture crap that you are already obsessed with and organize your thoughts about it and your references to it, then just using those in conversation will make you seem very smart because you have a deep knowledge, even if it's just of this little thing that is just some shit that you watched on TV all the time when you were growing up. Okay, now let me tell you my fan theory about the prequels in that case. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very, and it's very funny, too, and again, proof that, um, you know, when you go back to Tarantino, you're like, shit, he does this stuff really well. You yeah. know, um, you don't really think twice about the mundane dialogue about rails with cheese or whatever, you know, because it seems very organic. Yeah. yeah, it didn't film. have the... It, yeah, well, that's just how he's like able to... Mech- whole- he makes those super super talky scenes filled with references makes them feel as organic as they can i he heightens reality a little bit to match like the heightened dialogue but the dialogue is still human enough but these other guys they just they just throw out these just deadly long fucking monologues they really and i think that like there aren't that many monologues in tarantino because exchanging things feels more natural than someone just yes. ripping off 200 you know 200,000 words all of a, in a row and somebody's just standing there listening to them or something yeah because he does he does it a little bit in at the beginning of reservoir dogs um where you know he's holding forth on like a virgin yeah uh, but, but even he gets the, inner he they like intercut with him and they like yeah they're like toby toby who and they're like having their own conversations it's like dick 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 how many dicks is that? A, a lot. lot. So it's <laughs> interactive. 
<laughs> what these other ones do is they'll just turn it into a monologue, like from fucking Shakespeare or something. It God, just it grinds like, everything to a halt. It prefigures the era of YouTube reviewers. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. They are a lot of the same. Age. I mean, and that they're and <clears throat> that aesthetic is very similar to the YouTube in that it is this absolutely smug confidence when you're actually don't know shit. Yeah. Just like a total, okay, let me give you the affect of someone who's very world-weary and very knowledgeable and very smart, but I you're am, actually a dumbass. I am the premier scholar of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> Not only the games, but also the animated series. Yeah. Here's my unbelievably successful Patreon. Yeah. Nope. Does, oh, by the way, does anyone want to read the uh, review from the torrent of Love in a 45? Oh, fuck. Does anyone else besides me enjoy seeing a big-name movie star before they made it big? While this wasn't Renee Zellweger's first film role, it was certainly the first where she had a starring credit and certainly a far cry from her more demure character in 1996's Jerry Maguire. It goes on like this. Well, I guess she has at least one real big fan. Yeah, it goes on for four paragraphs. Yeah, so there's... Yeah. See, there's... You, we're, we're looking at Renee like, who is being seduced by this woman? And there's one guy who has been very much seduced. Oh, yeah, because at the yeah. end of this review, the guy's like, yeah, you don't see any of them titties, but she's wearing Daisy Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right, dude. So and if those kind of things turn you off, then you'd be wise to skip this movie. Yeah, thanks, like, Boy 88 That is 100% the indicator of a dumbass who shouldn't be reviewing movies when they, t and you see this all the time on IMDb reviews where it's somebody going like, well, if you're the kind of person who doesn't appreciate swearing and violence in your <laughs> movies, you should probably move along. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. So like, we're not as fucking cultured as you, Yeah. you know, cause we don't like trauma or where the fuck <laughs> else it is, you know? Like, or even still, like, I enjoy this movie. It's like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of the point. Like, and the other end of the spectrum is, you know, people in their 70s, like, also reviewing movies on IMDb who are like, you know, I liked it better when, you know, they didn't have cussing in movies. And, you know, the women kept their tops on. You know, yeah. the, like, Rita Hayworth was so much more classy than Asia Argento. <laughs> It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> is the movie good or not? Yeah. Again, like, I don't need, like, a moralizing lesson about it. Yeah. Yeah, we should get ready. Yeah, we got to. I think we got to go. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up. Um, because we have learned nothing. We got. No, uh, nothing has been learned. We got places to do and things to be. Yeah. We got a <laughs> lot of ums and hemming and hawing of mine that we need to cut out of this episode. But anyway, um, maybe just to wrap up, like, don't don't fucking watch these Tarantino ripoffs. You know, maybe just go back and watch Jackie Brown or something. Or watch our YouTube review to find out. Ah, click here to subscribe. Yeah. Um, Matt, hey, guys. Thank us. you. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for appearing. Uh, shout out to Brendan James for providing equipment for yes, editorial expertise yes yeah. equipment much better than the stuff we usually use on have you seen this yeah Thank we got you, three Brandon. audio channels it's great <laughs> uh anyway thanks again for listening yeah yes thanks for having me <laughs>